it's great to see you today. So I remember when I was a Boy Scout back many moons ago, I remember one of the, one of the things we did with my dad and, and some other parents and, and Boy Scouts is we took a trip to Canada where we canoed um, across several lakes. And it was literally a, a train drove us out there and stopped by the side of the lake, opened the doors, kicked us out with our canoes and our backpacks and closed the door and took off and said, good luck, have a nice day. <laughs> and the idea was to simulate a survival situation that we had trained for, right? We were learning the skills we needed to build fires and canoe and do all the stuff that we build shelters to make it through a situation like that. Now, clearly it was a controlled environment, but the mindset of, of being in a survival situation, the mindset of, of only concentrating on the basics, right? When we're getting ready for that trip, because again, it's not an impromptu survival situation, it's a trip. As we're getting ready for the trip, we're packing only the necessities, right? Only as much as you can carry. It's all you're taking. And you're packing tight, and you're packing food, clothing, shelter, and coffee. Yeah, definitely coffee. And, and first aid kits, just the basics, the things you absolutely have to have, no more, and importantly, no less, right? That, that's what you're taking with you, and you're very carefully ticking off your checklist, making sure you've got it all. Well, whether you're preparing for a situation like that, a, a chosen situation, or you're living through what feels like a legitimate survival situation, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, and you're just trying to get there from day to day because that's what survive means. It means to simply exist, to continue to exist. If you feel like you're in a situation where you're just trying to get through, you tend to dial in on your most immediate and most basic needs and, and throw everything else to the wind. You tend to focus on just what do I need to get through this moment, this day, until this season is over, right? When we were packing for a canoe trip, we didn't pack 15 days worth of stuff. We packed six or maybe four and said, nope, we're going to have to adapt halfway through and wash things or we're going to have to, right? You made choices and you cut back on certain things to get you through that situation and get to the other side. Again, that's what survival mode is. If you're in survival mode in your life right now, if you are going through a divorce, a massive relational change, it can very much feel like you're just trying to get through day to day. If you've just lost a loved one, uh, either, either unexpectedly or expectedly, truthfully, it, it's never easy. Getting through day to day just feels like that's, that's about all I can do today. I'm surviving and that's about all I can do. And we're gonna have seasons like that in our lives. I will say this, I think we can be prepared for those. That doesn't make them go away. It doesn't make them disappear. Uh, it certainly makes it possible for us to get through them more successfully. But I also think that one of the challenges that I see with, with a lot of Christians is that even as followers of Jesus Christ, even as those who are saved, who are following the master that has defeated death, that beat death, right? beat our biggest enemy. So we shouldn't be worried about surviving. I still see us living in this perpetual kind of survival mode. If we can just get through COVID or we can just get through the economic downturn or if I can just get through and we, we huddle in and circle the wagons and even as followers of Christ who should have a perspective that says, no, God wins, 
right? God, God wins. We still can dial into survival mode, not just in the midst of difficult situations, but through our daily lives. And I see us do that with our faith too. If you tuned in last week, you heard our discussion on um, the decrease and the relative, relatively small number of practicing Christians that read their scriptures more than once a week, right? I wouldn't call that a, a thriving commitment to God or a thriving faith. I would call that survival mode. I'm doing the bare minimum to get through so I can get to the next day. The problem with that is it never prepares you to really deal with the survival situations. And it leaves you in a place where you miss out on what thriving in your faith really can look like. What differences can it make? How can it, how can it help you prosper in life? And no, I don't mean make lots of money and, and be healthy, wealthy, and easy off. That's never promised in scripture. But I do mean, how can it help you see life in such a way that you see the good and not the bad? That you're able to trust in God's provision rather than only on yourself. And that you're, you're able to recognize that this world is not your home. And when it's all said and done, you're not just going to survive, you're going to thrive. And to begin to do some of that now, to recognize that a thriving faith when it is fully invested in and makes all the difference in the world in how we see the world, how we handle the difficulties of the world, and how we t show others who our Savior is. To do that, we're going to cover three things that I think a thriving faith needs. There are three things, three practices that I think we need to engage in to develop a thriving faith, that kind of faith that will carry us. To do that, we're going to look at three scriptures. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. It's going to be Jesus in the wilderness. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 17. As we look at three things that I think you need to have in order to have a thriving faith. The first one is this. This is in Matthew chapter 4. It's verses 1 through 11. We're going to find Jesus in the desert, having been led there by the Spirit right away, by the way, right away after he's been baptized. And the heavens have opened up, and a, do a spirit like a dove has descended and said to him, You are my son with whom I am well pleased, and told the whole crowd, Hey, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. We have this massive scene change. Listen to this. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I imagine so. Wouldn't you be, right? Talk about simulating a survival situation, right? You're without food. You're all by yourself in the middle of nowhere. There you go. And it says in verse 3, then the, then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and of their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship 
me. And then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him, only him. And the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. If Jesus were truly in survival mode, rather than focused on the things of God and focused on a thriving relationship with him and where it was going to take him, it would have been easy to, to honestly acquiesce, to do what the tempter, the devil, Satan, pick your term, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're offering him. He first offers him the opportunity to solve his own problem, right? He says, turn these stones into bread. You're hungry? Fix your own problem. Trust yourself to fix it. Always trust yourself to fix it. Isn't that kind of how we go through life sometimes, right? We trust ourselves more than anybody else. Uh, I've said that for years, you know, that if you, if you say something out loud enough times, you're going to believe it because you trust your own voice more than you trust anybody else's. <laughs> we do. We trust ourselves more than anybody else. And Satan says to him, look, you're, you, you're out here. The Spirit led you out here. You could solve this problem. Why don't you just solve it? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If I was just trying to get through, right? If I was just trying to fix this hunger problem, I would. But there's more to it than that, right? Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He understands that if he's going to thrive, to keep his eyes focused on the things that really matter, to get where God wants him to go, he has to recognize that it's God who's going to really sustain him, God who's going to really provide for him. I remember when Heather and I moved our family to Arkansas. It was the first time we'd had to take to go to seminary for me. It was the first time we had to take our whole family and trust God with with providing, with sustaining us, with getting us through. We sold our home, we closed our businesses, or she closed her business, I quit my job, um, and we moved. We moved. We'd only been down there once before. We didn't even have a place to live for about three weeks before we moved, and, and we moved in there sight unseen. We hadn't even seen it yet. And we moved in, and, and it turned out to be the perfect place for us because God had provided it. The truth is it was a connection in our church that was unrelated to me going to seminary, that knew people, and bingo, problem solved, right? Because God is good. I will tell you that we had to do it again when we moved to Minnesota. We had to rent an apartment, sight unseen. Turned out to be exactly where we needed to be. It turned out to be a great place to do ministry and to engage people, not just within the church we were with, but also in the community around us. But the truth is, I don't know that Heather and I ever would have known, known that, that he would provide, that he would sustain, that he would give us opportunities unless we gave him the opportunity to do so. It's really easy in difficult situations, if you're, especially if you're in survival mode, to want to take it yourself, right? To control it yourself. And so we develop this relationship with God that's kind of, okay, God, I trust you, at least in, in, in word, I trust you but I need you to, to verify, right? If you're in survival mode, you're thinking to yourself, I trust you, God, but I need you to show me the money. I need you to show me where this is gonna go because it's scary to leave behind all of these things that I've carefully lined up to get me through, right? All the items I've carefully packed to get me through this situation, this life, and you're telling me to leave my backpack behind and go, go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do. I need you to show me where I'm going to land. Well, the truth is God doesn't always show us where we are going to land. And Jesus is aware of that. 
Jesus is aware that if, if we're really going to follow in his footsteps, if we're really going to, if our faith life is going to thrive and it's going to allow us to see God working miracles and see God carrying, not just carrying us, but pushing us, pulling us, helping us along through life, we have to be willing to trust him to take us where he wants us to go and trust that wherever that is, it's better than whatever this world offers. And so we see Satan go down that road. He goes down the road in the, in the final section of this and says, look, you can have this whole world. You can have all the kingdoms, anything your eyes can see, you can have. All you've got to do is trust my provision, Satan, instead of God's, or trust yourself instead of God. Really trust anybody instead of God. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's more going on here than you ever thought was humanly possible, right? And he says, go away. Go away. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only is what he says. A thriving faith recognizes that service to God comes before service to self, service to earthly goals. A thriving faith recognizes that God's kingship, it values God's kingship and is willing to let him take charge more and more every day. I won't tell you that's easy. I will tell you it's worth it personal experience, I will tell you, it's worth it. The next sign of a thriving faith is a thriving faith matures throughout our life. It matures throughout our life. If you have uh, kids, then you know that throughout their life, their young lives, they change. There is a time when you feel like you're doing nothing but changing diapers and making bottles, right? And you feel like if you could just get through that, that you would survive that stage. As a parent, I've definitely been there. But your goal in raising your kids is not to raise them up to just survive life. It's to have them be properly equipped and matured to get through life. You want them to, to learn to be responsible for themselves, to make good emotional and physical choices, to make the wise choice, to make the right choice, the righteous choice, to do the thing that God would have them do and not just take off and always follow whatever feeling they're having in the moment, right? You expect them to mature. But sometimes I think in our faith, in our Christianity, I don't know that we mature nearly as much as we would like to think. And I think that's important for us to understand. That that's a difficulty for us and to, and to deal with it. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, we see a situation like that where the writer, we don't know who for sure who that writer is, but they're clearly responding to a correspondence, either a written one or a verbal communication. They're responding to complaints, to complaints that they're not growing in their faith, they're not maturing in their faith, they're still struggling, they're just surviving, they're just getting through day to day, they, they only know the basics and they're not going anywhere. And the writer is, is frankly pretty harsh with them. He's pretty direct and pretty straightforward in saying, look, there's more to this, but you've got some maturing to do. Let's read what he says in chapter, Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to read verses 11 through 14. He says, we have a great deal to say about this. And then he gets direct and he says, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Oofed. That's, that's heavy, right? That's harsh, dude. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. 
You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. He is talking to Christians that by, by the timing of this letter have probably been, most of them, at least the, the leaders in this group of this tribe, have been probably Christians for decades, for 20, 30, 40 years, maybe a generation. And he's telling them that you are stuck in the early stages of your faith. You are stuck in this place where you are still expecting people to feed you instead of learning to feed yourself. See, a thriving faith learns to mature and learns to take responsibility for its own faith growth. I'm going to get a little bit graphic here for a minute. Have you ever seen a baby bird be fed by its mom? Right. So the mama bird goes out and, and collects. Collects all the worms, all the food, chews the food, swallows the food, and then reproduces. We'll use that word reproduces the food for the baby and feeds it. Is that a necessary stage of life? It is. It's absolutely necessary for the bird at that point in its life to receive food that way. But at some point, that method of delivery is unsustainable. It's unsustainable for the mom. She just can't keep up. It's unsustainable for the baby. At a certain point, they're going to get big enough that mom can't do that with enough food to sustain herself and sustain her babies. And so at a certain point, mom begins to teach them to do different things and expects them to do different things. And frankly, at some point, pops them out of the nest and says, you gotta learn to fly. You've gotta learn to fly. You gotta learn to provide for yourself. You have to learn to do those things. And if you're gonna do this, if you're gonna make it, if you're going to thrive, I think the same thing happens in our faith or should happen in our faith. Now that's not to say we should divorce ourselves from listening to one another. Clearly I think preaching matters, although I would say that preaching is in some ways similar to what a mama bird does. Uh, the, the pastor spends or whoever's speaking spends an extreme amount of time putting things together and, and changing it, not changing the word, but definitely figuring out how to present it in such a way that it's easily palatable, right, or understood. Uh, I think there's value in that, especially as you're going into more and more complex things, but there is a reality that a mature faith doesn't just depend on that in order for it to be fed to thrive. It also understands that there is a responsibility for ourselves, frankly, to read scripture, frankly, to pray, to create opportunities to discuss scripture and discuss the Bible and God's direction with other Christians as you're strengthening one another. It's iron sharpens iron, as the scripture says. I think part of a, a mature, thriving faith learns to go out and do the mission of God individually rather than just waiting for somebody else to do it for them. And, and that may seem like harsh words, but I think if you're in survival mode, it's really easy to get to that place where you don't have time to worry about those things. You're just trying to make it from day to day when you're missing out on an opportunity to participate in the greatest thing Jesus could ever ask us to do, and that's to tell others about him. And you're missing out on a thriving life that has God's perspective on life rather than a human perspective. 
You see, if we are thriving in our faith, we're able to see things differently. We see them as God sees them. We're able to find purpose in our life where maybe we're struggling just trying to survive. If we can see the end goal for maturing and we can see that end goal he's got for us, it makes it much easier to see where we fit, what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to go, and to find out, determine what that fulfillment really, really looks like. That fulfillment we're all seeking, it's found in serving God. It means if we're maturing in our faith, it means we can experience peace in the midst of the storm. It means that we are trusting God's power to carry us through. Miles Stanford says about faith and maturity, he says, immaturity considers Lord Jesus a helper. Maturity or a mature faith knows him to be life itself. A thriving faith learns to rely on God's provision more and more every day and it gives him opportunities to provide to show himself faithful because he is and God's a thriving faith also matures and begins to recognize its responsibility for itself rather than expecting to constantly receive from others because if you can't feed yourself how can you help feed somebody else right and finally that leads us to our final part our final point out of Jeremiah chapter 17, and that's that a thriving faith bears fruit. Jeremiah 17, seven and eight says this, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed. He will, take a he will be like a tree planted by water. It sends out its roots out toward a stream. It does not fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease to produce, cease producing fruit thriving faith is planted so deeply that when the drought comes it's ready it's ready for those survival mode moments because you've been packing for it for weeks or months or years it's ready to help others get through those survival moments because you've got enough packed for others your cup is overflowing a thriving faith recognizes and is able to be the impact in this world that we need to be, that we're called to be. And my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we will find a way to disconnect ourselves from the survival mode world we live in and connect ourselves with the Lord our God who's just trying to pull us toward a life that is thriving, that is fulfilling, that is bearing fruit and making a difference for his kingdom because isn't that what we all need in order to thrive? Thank you for joining us today. I pray it was a blessing unto you. If you have opportunity to send a message or connect with us, we would love to help you learn more about what it means to thrive in your faith and learn more about our great God. Many blessings.